This podcast and its parent website are supported by its listeners and readers. If you enjoy what you hear and read at Ride or Die, please consider supporting our continued creation at patreon.com slash ride or die. Welcome to the Ride or Die podcast, featuring your hosts, Andrew Michael Spence Boyd, Chris Willis, and Nathan Mackey. Enjoy the show. We should start with a joke, but I don't know any. I don't know any off the top of my head either. Did Not you hear about the fire at the circus? It was a disaster. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Many lost their lives. Yes. Uh, no, it was intense. It was intense. Oh. Reminded me of that time. Really? How? How was it intense? Because it's just, you know, at a circus and big tents. And Wait, i got to start this watch. I always forget to do oh, that. that's cool. That's cool. That's right. Yeah. It's only off by a minute. Um, yeah. But what's not up by a minute? Beer the show. <laughs> to the minute. No, it was right on time. Right on time, as always. <laughs> we got uh, that fast. This week's beer of the show. <laughs> 14 seconds. 14 fast. seconds fast. Um, this week's beer of the show is coming to us all the way from our neighbors to the north. Well, a little, little bit to the north. north. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all our neighbors. Um, but <laughs> our brethren to the north. Fort People Collins, Colorado. North, yeah. They're they're uh, easy going. They're day blazer easy going ale from New Belgium. Uh, let's let's crack these. Oh gosh. We can just do. Two's good. Yeah. No, no. It's too late. We needed to have these ready. <laughs> We've been sipping on them. Full disclosure. <laughs> Full yeah. disclosure. Wouldn't be a show without it. No. <laughs> uh, without that disclosure. So, what do you guys think of this? Uh, it's easy going ale. I like it. Is it nice and easy? I like it. Mm-hmm. I selected it essentially at random. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I recognized, I, I'm familiar with that brewery, but I've never had this one. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's smooth. Uh, it's only a 4.8%, so it is very easy going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it has a little fruitiness to it. Do we know what is in it? No. Uh, in terms of hops. Yes, it's Nugget and Cascade hops. Okay. Um, Cascade is good. I think that's one of the ones that they have in like Pale Mosaic and stuff. Yeah, I think that's the fruity one that you're tasting. But uh, let me know if this this uh, range true. Uh, their flavor profile from the website is light initial sweetness followed by a subtle hop bitterness. Neither yeah. overpower. Yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, sounds good, right? Yeah. Uh, like Chris said, 4.8%. Uh, watch out with the IBU on this. It's 13 Whoa. 13 IBU. That's the international bitterness units. Units. Yeah, right? I think mm-hmm. so. But whether that's high or not, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't so. know. I mean, it's not super bitter. It can't be that. It's not sour beer. <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking about that. They had that whole thing back in like the 90s about sour beer face. Or no, bitter beer face. Bitter beer oh, face. Oh, yeah. yeah. But like, that's a whole genre of beers. Genre. It's a whole like subset of yeah, beers. Yeah, but I think what they were really talking about was like skunk beer. Skunk beer, yeah. Yeah. But they said bitter beer because that rolls off the tongue. Yeah, I guess. But like that just completely like Blue Owl is just a bitter beer sanctuary. <laughs> well, is there a difference between bitter and sour? I guess. Yes. Is there sour? Because so. they have sour bitters yeah, too, they're, they're right? Sours. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I meant just like bitters that you would put into like oh, old oh. fashioned and stuff. Like like yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of sour beer, like yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. I guess, but yeah. Well, you know that's a. Conspiracy will tackle in another show. Yeah, <laughs> we should do a conspiracy theory <laughs> series. Do you, are there any conspiracy Conspir- theories that you guys like are theory, theory. super into? I don't have any. Um, not off top of my no. head, but I'm sure there's one that I'm like. Not that I. If we did like, some research, we could probably find some. The Kurt Cobain one. 
was always one that, oh, I, that I kind of like murdered him to a little bit. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I haven't thought about it in years, but like, yeah, neither is he. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just that was rough. That just, was rough. That was rough. Just taking us new places. Yeah, it's been what. Like 15 years, years now? Years. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, way more than 15 years. What am I talking about? 20, it's like 25 years. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, are we ready to jump into this? As, as you guys know, uh, if you've been following our last couple of episodes, uh, we have started, we're in the, the, the thick of our scene series in which we break down uh, scenes that we really love from specific genres of films. Uh, the first episode we did action movies, uh, focusing on a lot of fight scenes and, and stuff like that. Uh, the second uh, episode was on horror films, and so we gave some of our favorites. Uh, I felt that was a pretty good conversation. Horror is always a really um, polarizing genre. Uh, this week we're going to do one that I think is the it has been the hardest one for me. Yeah, uh, and that's comedy. Um, and Amos B, you wanted to talk a little bit before we jump into these scenes to, to break them down about why it feels a little bit harder for us. Yeah, you know, we were talking about it before we started recording during our sort of pre-pre-show. But it really is the one that, that it's the most challenging to identify the pros and cons of, like, the, I guess, the sort of filmmaking style or the, or the classic tenets of good filmmaking mm-hmm. like uh, cinematography for example um, when you think of comedy scenes I don't know it's <clears throat> when you if you think hard enough about it you can definitely find stuff and mm-hmm. you can cherry pick good examples of, of you know comedic cinematography and blocking and these other sort of basic tenets of filmmaking but it is just, it's almost so, it's just so secondary because the writing is so, it's the, it's everything. Yeah. It's like, um, I guess you could make an argument that it, with the exception of the very early days of the Buster Keaton's and the more yeah. like strictly physical non-dialogue comedy, but the writing and dialogue is so important <laughs> to good comedy at the very least and to most comedy, and and so it, it just kind of shoves everything, at least initially, it just shoves everything sort of on the back burner. You just don't really think too much about um, the direction and the cinematography and the lighting and the set design and the yeah. production design. But then you know and yeah and like you think about um, you know there's all these crazy good directors that directed episodes of The Office, but it's pretty hard to tell them apart in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, these are people like uh, Joss Whedon and uh, I'm blanking on, <laughs> on other, uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, like, yeah. All these people that are known for having a mark on that kind of thing, and you just it's hard to pick it out. Yeah, you, you can't tell a, one of their episodes from, from the like other, a Steve yeah. Carell. Right, like, right. Um, but yeah, so it, it is one that we had to think a little bit harder about, and I'm interested to see how we talk about it in that perspective. Yeah, when I, I, I know, Nate, you picked yours, and you, I think, had a little bit more success in finding the things that you wanted to talk on in this episode, uh, but I think you, you looked at it similarly to how I did, and I think you had more success in finding them, uh, but just finding what works kind of classifying different scenes and what type of comedy they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is it for you to kind of jump through and, and, and think back on? Because it's also thinking back on movies, yeah, yeah. thinking back what's on, what's funny is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, so how was it for you to, to pick out your scenes? Uh, I mean, comedy is always one of my favorite genres, uh, and it was relatively easy. I immediately knew at least two or three of the ones that um, that I selected that those were the ones that I wanted mm-hmm. uh, when we decided that we were going to do a comedy. Uh, if I may jump into my first one, since you talked to Chris about thinking back and, and mm-hmm. you know it resonating with you, my first one from uh, Three Amigos going back to, uh, I think, 86 or 87? Um, yeah, 86. 
So Three Amigos is starring um, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short. And in this particular scene, and I don't know what I don't know why, but this scene just like I said, even as a kid when I saw this, because I wasn't even alive when it came out, but even as a kid when I saw this, uh, the scene always resonated with mm-hmm. me. And uh, so, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's about three uh, actors who are kind of a comedy troupe, uh, sort of like Three Stooges, who get fired from their production company, um, and because they're so famous and well known that this small um, village or town in Mexico reaches out to them about uh, coming down and they'll pay them and sort of roughing uh, El Guapo who's like this local gangster or something mm-hmm. uh, kind of roughing him up or scaring him off uh, so they hire him hire them to come down but before that um, they need to get their costumes uh, and they're owned by the production company so they, they're not going to give them up so they hatch this scheme to steal the costumes um, and Steve Martin, uh, who's, uh, his character is uh, Lucky Day. They all have ridiculous yeah. names. Um, Lucky Day, he goes, uh, he's on top of this ledge, and you don't know like how... To, uh, the, the thing about this scene is the big reveal at the end. Um, you don't know how big this ledge is, but it looks like a tall ledge because there's like a billboard behind him and stuff. Um, and he's trying to get atten- the attention of uh, Chevy Chase, whose character is Dusty Bottoms, and uh, <laughs> Martin Short, whose character is... Uh, Ned Niederlander. Niederlander, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's trying to get their attention. They're crouched below him um, so that he can hoist him up. And he's just doing the most ridiculous... Like, it starts out small, like with little whistles, kind of bird sounds, mm. and then he realizes that they're not paying attention, so it escalates to essentially him just shouting, look, like, look up yeah. here, guys. He, he starts saying, look up here, in like a bird voice. Yeah. <laughs> look up it, here, look up here. Yeah, they still don't get the hint. And then uh, at the end, just before he shouts, we cut to a wide screen, where, or a, a wide shot where he's like 10 or 15 feet above them. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> just, see, that's... That's the thing that I was going to point out after we watched it as the the part that I think made it so good yeah. is just the final reveal that he's not that far above them. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. really close. Yeah. And also, it makes you think back on the fact that as Martin Short and Chevy Chase are kneeling on the sidewalk, like, waiting to hear the, the, the call, the, the sign, uh, they don't even react to anything. Yeah. So... It's not like they hear it and they're looking around for it. They just don't hear anything yeah. until he just says, look up here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. He essentially uh, reverts to just shouting at them um, to look up here. But yeah, that scene has always stuck with me through all these years as, as one of the tops. Um, and that's kind of the power of, of comedy because you know as we go through these, uh, these scene series, like action for me was probably so far one of the harder ones because there's so much there's so much action right but it's so it's yeah. hard to find a good scene but for me I think the scenes that I grabbed um, they all have their own little little reason yeah. little niche uh, the, the reason why I grabbed them um, and this one just stuck with me so so much through all these years so that's well, why I love it I think that that's something that really speak that speaks to what makes a comedy scene stick with you is is that what sets things apart, what keeps them in the back of your mind uh, that you may forget, and when you go back and you and you see that that aspect, is just the the subtle nuances um, in some of the, the some of the scenes and the couple scenes that I'm going to talk about. There's nuances play a, a heavy part in it, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that that's like a big part of just that scene. It's it is absurd and it is silly, and there's physical comedy in it, uh, but just that small subtle camera shift um that's where you see the solid directing and cinematography and editing and i think editing is something in comedy that that doesn't get as much love as it shows uh this directed by john landis by the Mm -hmm. way uh so and he's also a tremendous 80s director for sure so that movie is beloved uh and it's it's always had like a I don't want to say cult following, but it's always had its strong following. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, People who love that movie love that. Yeah. Movie. yeah. But that, that brought me to another thought before we break into some other scenes that I was thinking about before going into this, and I haven't shared it with you uh, as a potential talking point, but I'd like to get your guys' opinion on it. I, I was thinking that as far as 
the scenes that we've broken down, the horror scenes, the action scenes. I know for horror, we generally stay pretty modern. Um, but comedy has always, to me, felt like the hardest genre to be still substantial as time goes on to go back to those movies and still think that they're funny. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, cause comedy is such an always changing thing. You know, if you just think about what your parents thought were funny 20 years before you don't think it's funny and they didn't think your stuff is just stupid. Yeah. Um, so it's always been real hard to, to kind of look back at something from, 1986 and still think that it's as relevant today as it was then yeah um what do you guys think about that i mean do you, does that hold true to you in, the, in some capacity I, I think so and and this could be totally unrelated but i think um when you pose that question i immediately think of mel brooks um who was huge mm-hmm. in uh you know the the 70s and 80s and stuff and the last movie he did, as far as direction, was uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, and that was 95. Yeah. So, like, he hasn't had... I, and I just assume that, like... I, I don't know exactly why, but I just assume maybe his comedy wouldn't work now. But what he created back then, some of it still... Like, Young Frankenstein's one of my favorite yeah. comedy movies. Yeah, I think, I think the, 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 the timelessness uh, discussion is an interesting one, because I, I think, like... The stuff that I don't know. I feel like the stuff that is timeless is the stuff that it's it's almost like it's self fulfilling. Yeah. It's um. There is timeless comedy. There's stuff that's funny. There's stuff that is funny to your parents and to you. Yeah. And that is the type of thing where it is timeless. Yeah. And those types of jokes and gags and stuff, and that type of writing, you'll see it. Yeah. In a hundred years. And like the all the other stuff that kind of that people that doesn't kind of fit it's it's weird because it's in many ways one of the more universal genres of anything com you know film mm-hmm. whatever and uh, yeah it's just interesting to think about I just think that that stuff that doesn't accommodate both of those sort of demographics both of those generations. That is the stuff that's gonna kind of just fall to the wayside, and like, yeah, it's good now, and it's fine, but in fifty years, like, no one will remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I I agree. It's definitely the movies that can pull that off uh, with their writing, with their acting and directing. Movies that can pull that off definitely stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's gonna bring me into. Uh, the first movie that I'm going to talk about. Before that, though, I did want it to... One of the movies that I really was thinking about choosing, but I couldn't think of a scene, and I didn't want to do something from the 60s uh, since I was going to do Dr. Strangelove, but it was the original Pink Panther. Oh, and yeah. that was one that I went back watching not thinking that it would hold up. Yeah. Uh, I think I watched it, you know, like when I was in college or something like that. Uh, so that's a good, like, 40 years difference almost if not definitely 40 years maybe 50 um and it still held up yeah um for it just being that kind of like absurdity um physical comedy bumbling guy i mean mr bean's still like oh yeah still something (laughs) talk about talk about cross-cultural yeah like universally adored yeah um (laughs) So Pink Panther was great, and, and one of the reasons is Peter Sellers in that yes. he he's so good mm-hmm. as Inspector Clouseau that it really makes that movie, mm-hmm. and and his performance is what makes it like transcend. <laughs> Which is funny because he is very good in Doctor Strangelove yes. um, as well. He's that's the unifying link between the two. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're not familiar with Doctor Strangelove, it's a 1964 movie by uh, Stanley Kubrick. It's his only comedy. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's his only comedy, um, which is believable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it itself deals with a subject that's not yes. super funny. It is it what they like, call a black comedy. Or yes, dark it's, comedy. <laughs> it's a it's an atomic warfare what if scenario yes. basically. 
Uh, Peter Sellers plays three roles in that film. Only three. Only three. <laughs> uh, the the two in the scene that I'm going to talk about, he plays President Merkin uh, Muffley. I honestly thought it was more than that. I've remembered it being more than three. Yeah, he's played three in the song. And he also played the titular Doctor Strangelove. Um, it's, if you're, so if, to kind of summarize it, it's this movie where there are several different scenes kind of comprising the whole the whole film. Not every character is together. Um, they're all separated. Uh, there's It focuses on... like a Star Wars movie. Sure, yes. It's exactly like a Star Wars movie. These three things happening simultaneously. Um, You know, there's... But the scenes that I always gravitate towards the most and want to rewatch the most, and I think are sometimes the most famous from the movie, are the scenes that take place in the war room Mm -hmm. with the president's cabinet and generals and everybody, you know, discussing what they need to do to react to the threat of nuclear warfare. Uh, the scene that all of those scenes are good. You could you could point to any one of them. But the one that I like the most is it's hard to like even say what it is exactly. But it's a scene in which uh, George C. Scott, who is also tremendous in this film, uh, who plays General Buck Turgidson, he uh, is a general and he's trying to convince the president of. A plan that will kill 10 to 20 million people. And the way the, the president, President Merkin, Muffley, doesn't, he doesn't want, to, he doesn't want to, to kill that many people. He doesn't want that to be like his reputation. He doesn't want to go forward with a plan that, that has that much mass death. Um, the way that George C. Scott just casually explains the plan to him. Yeah. <laughs> and when he gets the pushback of how many people would die? I don't want to kill millions of people. And he's just like, well, I mean, it's 10 to 20. <laughs> like, that's pretty good. And just to see, like, in 1960s casual George C. Scott doing that, like, it just, it just feels so natural. And I think that it's because it is a black comedy and so its humor is much more subtle. And I think that that's what it's very dry. Yes, I think that that's what pushes it in. You know what? We should have done it. I should have done it in Bruges one. <laughs> I can't even yeah. now. I like now you're thinking. Now I regret it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I love that scene. I love the war room in general. It doesn't. It it ends that particular scene ends with my favorite quote from the film, which is when the Russian Russian the president announces that the Russian ambassador is going to be coming into the war room. And George C. Scott is like, uh, what? You're going to... He's going to come in here? Yeah? He's going to see all of our secrets. We can't... That's that's bad for security. He's going to see the big board. He's going to see he, the big board. He's going to see the big board. Uh, and it's just Doesn't him. he trip right before that, too? Uh, that's is not the like same. Oh, he might have been. He might have before that scene, but it's not like uh, yeah. in that thing. Yeah. Uh, so I love that one the war room scenes are just so good in there the gentleman you can't fight in the war room and when Dr. Strangelove can't or Peter Sellers can't fight back his so he is a German scientist that has after World War II defected to the United States changed his name and is like helping the president but he can't fight his like Nazi like pride and so he's physically trying to like keep it back and he just is in this wheelchair and he can't he like chokes himself yeah and he's like trying to hold his arm down yeah uh it's it's such a good film it's thing I remember about such a good scene oh I didn't go go ahead no go ahead I wanted to say so one of the other elements of it and we talked about this before the show so I I almost forgot to to mention it that I I think makes it so good is in a way similar to Three Amigos in that scene, but it's how Stanley Kubrick utilizes the the space of the war room itself. It's this giant room with about 30 oh, yeah. men in it around this large circular table. So he'll go in close to George C. Scott or go in close to President Muffley, and then for the next line of dialogue that comes from the other character, he'll go wide pan, and you're just like so far... 
Almost back. sounding like he didn't even mic anything. Yeah, it just sounds like what the boom is right next to the yeah, camera. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like George C. Scott at some points is it's just yeah. yeah. And it's this large room where there's like kinda echoey and you can hear that he's just one of thirty people and, and <laughs> how it just makes what he's saying even more ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um so the utilization of space there is I think uh, one of the things that pushes it over the top too because the writing is great, dialogue is great, um, comedy timing, all that stuff is great. Acting is great. George C. Scott is playing f- comedy is he's so good at it. Yeah. Um, but it's just that subtle directing, which if somebody's going to do it, it's Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. So that's that's one of the elements when when you get a director that's as renowned and this is still somewhat early on and and, you know this is before 2001 and before The Shining and all of his generally conceived are thought to be like masterpiece films this is like the first of those I believe Um, but still having a director that with that much clout and that much skill um, do a comedy is you don't see that a whole lot mm. you know there is an interesting choice there um, for it's a really big choice mm-hmm. to do that film in black and white yes and that's a very production like mm-hmm. kind of cinematograph mm-hmm. uh, cinema cinemagraphic I guess um, thing to think about there I, I, I and I remember I have like I love this movie it's mm-hmm. one of my favorites of all time and I watched a bunch of like special feature stuff on the DVDs and stuff. I forget there was a very particular reason why he chose to do it in black and white that he had declared, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah, but um, I'd imagine that it, it. I haven't seen it, but I'd imagine it might be because it takes place before, because uh, it comes out or it came out in '64. Mm-hmm. Takes place before then. Yeah, it's based yeah. off of a book called Red Alert mm-hmm. um, by uh, Peter George. So it is based before it, but it I don't know if it's based so far before it because like they had colored movies in like the forties yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there could also just be like a nostalgic feel. And and that's something that like I would like to figure out after the show is just, you know, why exactly did Kubrick mm-hmm. choose black and white? Um, it makes it it, it makes it... I can't imagine that movie in color. It makes it I can't just either, feel yeah. right. It may, yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, so that was my pick. Uh, or that's one of my picks. Uh, Amos B., you went a slightly different route. You didn't yeah. choose a movie, which I like. I think for comedy, we talked about TV um, and sketch comedy has kind of a different... It has a different feel to it. Yeah, it has a, for sure. It, it's got different positives and negatives and so maybe talking about one is I think a good yeah. idea just and to change it up because it is so dialogue and I think I I probably would have gone for a film other than it's one of the most unique comedy sketches I've ever seen and mm-hmm. it's a it's a uh, it's from a program that aired in the UK in the early 2000s mm-hmm. late 90s I can't remember they had a long run time I'm pretty sure yeah uh, <clears throat> that Mitchell and Webb look, which is David Mitchell and uh, somebody Webb. I can't remember his first name. I forget his name, too. Yeah. It's not David, is it? <laughs> no, it's David Mitchell. No, no, David. I know it's David Mitchell, but I can't remember. I thought it might have, might have been David Webb as well. Mm. But uh, anyway, comedy duo, they'd done um, a few different shows before yeah. that. Uh, oh, what's that one called? Uh, the perspective it's, oh, it's that's all peep shot show. peep show yeah. peep show happened after Mitchell oh it did after book, okay. yeah um and uh anyway it's it is a unique scene it's a unique sketch because the payoff you know everybody talks about how the you know the anatomy of a joke you set up and payoff mm-hmm. the payoff for that sketch you can see coming from a mile away yeah you almost know the punchline before they're 30 seconds in. Yeah. And it just gets, like, you just get closer and closer to it. And you, with every passing second, you know what the end joke is going to be. Yeah. And it is still hilarious. And I think that it's all in the delivery, and it's all in the timing, which is so much about 
what comedy is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I, I, I kind of don't want to go too much into it because I like the idea of people going and watching it and just letting it happen to them yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, without us kind of ruining it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very obvious joke, and it's, again, you can see it coming from a mile away, and it's still funny. And I think that that speaks to the talent of the writing and the talent of the delivery and the talent of the of the timing. It's yeah. just and and like there's really nothing else. And it's every it's every role too. It's not just the two main roles. It's mm-hmm. the secondary characters mm-hmm. that are in there that have like three or four lines yeah. or three or four words that they say. Um, but yeah, it's it's I've, it's always stuck out to me because of that. Like you just know what it is, what the joke is, and it's still funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah we watched it during the, or yeah, we watched it during the pre-show and uh, had a good laugh. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it. I, I haven't heard of it before. Um, There's also a really, really good one where they find they're Nazis mm-hmm. and, and they yeah, discover that yeah. they're not the good guys. Yeah, maybe we're yeah, not why the good guys. guys. Yeah, why yeah. do our uniforms Are have skulls the, on them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are we the baddies? Yeah. Are we the baddies? I do really like them. I yeah. think David Mitchell, especially, I like we've watched so him on, on several of the yeah. panel shows. Yeah. Um, and he's very, very, his comedy is very witty. And, yeah, he's and very dry as well. Yeah. I mean, typical British humor and. Stiff upper lip type stuff. Yeah. Which we've lip. always been a big fan of. Yeah. For sure. We've talked about Toast, I think, several times on here. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Robert Webb was the other one. Robert yeah. Webb. Robert Webb. Um, so, what do you got next for us, Nate? Uh, so, I'll jump into one of mine, probably my uh, top. Um, and mostly because this movie just it is so sweet. Um, it, it's such a funny movie, but it also has, has a lot of heart. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Mm hmm. So this is the uh, I, I, the horn freakout scene. That's just what I call it. <laughs> um, but if you've seen the movie, then you know what I'm talking about. So uh, they're driving around in this old Daisy bus, uh, this old yellow Daisy bus, and um, they have to, you know, they're having troubles with it throughout the entire movie. And um, they're on the freeway, and they get cut off. So Greg Kinnear, the driver, honks the horn, and that just sets the horn off, and it just goes off and on throughout, you know, the next it's couple of scenes. malfunction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I love about it is... So it bookends... Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. It bookends sort of these two traumatic um, uh, scenes. The first one being that the grandpa dies. Uh, and they've... <laughs> they've got him in the back, in the bag. Uh, they're waiting to, to get to the next stop. And then they're going to uh, take him to the morgue. But they've got him in the back, in a bag... And uh, then the horn goes off, and people are honking at him as they're driving by, thinking that they're they're hon- that they're honking at them. Uh, so they're yelling at him and stuff. And so they eventually get pulled over. And I didn't realize it until I watched it today, but that's actually uh, uh, Schrader from the police officer Schrader from uh, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget his name, but um, so he gets pulled over, and the police officer they're worried about him looking in the back. Uh, because they're gonna find the dead grandpa, so they the police officer gets a sense of that, so he goes and looks in the back and then finds a bunch of the grandpa's like porno mags. Oh, yeah. So he like and you don't realize that until uh, later, but he asks Greg Kinnear's character to get out of the car and to come back, and they're like talking about the porno mag, and it's just it's <laughs> hilarious that scene. Um, I, and then that the honking just becomes for the next couple of scenes it just becomes sort of this background noise yeah it's part um, of the charm of yeah the, exactly yeah. it's just going in and out um and then it ends with uh the character Dwayne who's played by Paul Dano the first uh, uh movie I've seen him in and I just lo- fell yeah. in love with him ever since but that's the first thing I saw him in too. yeah yeah so he, he's this sort of uh intricate character um who doesn't speak he writes everything down and uh he his only passion is to become um, a jet fighter pilot. So his little sister is giving him um, this uh, colorblind test Mm -hmm. and he realizes that he's colorblind so he has this kind of uh, meltdown in the car where he's punching things and and Steve Carell's character um, asks that they pull over so he pulls over or they pull over and um, 
and that's the first time that you hear Paul Daniel speak. He just he runs out of the car, down the road a little bit, and then just you know has a little freak out. But and they never explain it. But the after that scene, uh, the horn just stops, and mm-hmm. so it's just it's just bookended by these two traumatic experiences, and it, it's just it fits so perfectly with the the whole experience of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that scene. It's a good movie. It is that is a very good movie that I feel I don't go back to enough. I, I, I always forget about it. It's, mm. it's not that it's forgettable. I just forget about it. Well, it is a it is a very black comedy as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's very strong emotionally. I think and it's one of maybe of the movies that we're talking about potentially the most emotionally charged one, especially. Uh, because you talk about it coming in the middle of these two really sad things. Mm-hmm. Um, it also uses, I think more than any of the other scenes we're going to talk about, it uses sound as an element of yeah. comedy, um, which isn't always a typical thing. It's, it's an underutilized element. Um, using noises and audible sounds to land a punchline or be the setup for things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anytime a movie can can do that, can use something a little different to land their jokes, I think yeah. that's always really strong. Yeah, it's super dark all around too. I mean, yeah, the first thing that you really find out about during the movie is that Steve Carell, like his character, tried to kill himself. Tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that's where we enter the movie is like him being brought home, right? Yeah, they yeah, the to his sister, and, like, yeah. Pick yeah, him yeah. Up, yeah. <clears throat> definitely definitely a good film and and I've seen it's the director is uh, Michael Arndt I believe is how you pronounce he's it the, or he's the writer sorry Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Fair. did Ferris. he do what was the one with a, a sunshine cleaning yeah is it the same people? so that's what I was gonna that's what I wanted to to look up because uh, I did watch sunshine cleaning a little bit not a little bit I watched the whole thing uh, <laughs> And it, it was it was good, but it just didn't have the same. But is it was it the same people though? Uh, it was at least one of the same people. I don't know if it's the same directors or the same writer. Uh, director uh, Christine Jeffs and writer Megan Holly. Just kidding. It had nothing to do hmm. with it. I had sunshine cleaning. It's weird. It has like the same feel to it. Like yeah. Tone. I thought that it was in in some capacity related to the same uh, group of people that had yeah. made it. Um, but it it's very good. It has that same feel. It just doesn't have. It's not. I think Little Miss Sunshine. It also its its soundtrack is really great. It has it uses a lot of Dubotchka, mm-hmm. um, and just all around a strong film. Yeah. And one of those. Oh, Paul Dano and I have the same birthday. Uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. Super super high quality. I think uh, what I'm going to talk about next is another one of those movies where it's kind of... It's definitely dark. Um, and that's Burn After Reading. Uh, it's If you're not familiar with it, it's a Coen Brothers film. Um, they... For my money, they are... Them and maybe like Martin McDonough are like the best at kind of mixing in their violence mm-hmm. into comedy and using it as like a comedic violence mm-hmm. as a way to like shock you but also make you laugh and I think the scene that I want to talk about is maybe my favorite Coen Brothers scene of all time it's not the most quotable it's not well it might be the most shocking but <laughs> uh, definitely not as quotable as, as some, like stuff that Nate's going to talk about in a little bit um, and that is the scene if you're not familiar with it this will spoil stuff for sure. Uh, me just talking about it will ruin this scene for you. Um, but I wanted to talk about the scene in which Brad Pitt hides from George Clooney in the closet. Um, he's trying to get some materials from George Clooney's house. He's like investigating him. And, and Brad Pitt is just a guy that works at a gym. Yeah. Um, he's dumb. Uh, this is one of my favorite Brad Pitt roles. He's... <laughs> so not himself in it um he take he it's kind of like he goes back to what brad pitt was 
when he started his career where he's kind of weird kind of funny yeah yeah um playing these like supporting roles he's not the main character in it he but he goes into george clooney's house to pick up i i I can't remember exactly what it is i think maybe it's like an envelope or a letter or something he needs to get some some information so he breaks into george clooney's house who works for like the fbi or cia and he hides george clooney comes back he hides from george clooney in his closet and uh after a while of hiding in there he can look through the slats and he can see george clooney you know going around the apartment just trying to get his clothes on Mm -hmm. for yeah he's in the shower so he's just waiting in there for a while um there's no like george clooney never suspects anything yeah at all (laughs) uh until he walks to it to get a new change of clothes opens the door of the closet and sees Brad Pitt who just has this dumb who makes this dumb <laughs> grin stupidest it's such a stupid looking face <laughs> but he just does it and, he, and George Clooney shoots him in the head immediately <laughs> without thinking about it and then he freaks out and he's like Brad Pitt doesn't have any information on him and so like George Clooney who's like super paranoid thinks that uh, like spooks are after him (laughs) it's just so funny because it's so shocking and it's one of those moments where you don't expect it like there's nothing in you should expect it because it's a Coen Brothers movie but there's nothing ahead of that to really like (laughs) make you put you in that yeah there's no like foreshadowing or anything yeah Yeah. Uh, I mean there's like minor bits but it's just one of those things where the violence is so and it's kind of like it's not I wouldn't say I'd say gory lightly you know yeah Uh, but he gets shot straight up in the head and they kind of show it and it's like whoa (laughs) yeah Um, I mean this is uh, you know 2008 when Brad Pitt as if he couldn't get any bigger but he was believe it or not bigger at the time uh, and there was no way that you were putting Brad Pitt in your movie and then you're going to kill him off at least yeah. so randomly. Um, but yeah. Like 35 minutes into it, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and his character, you, you wouldn't think either that he would get shot. But he was... he. That movie is one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. It gets knocked out by a lot of people, yeah. but I absolutely love it. And, and Brad Pitt's a big part of it. It's, you know, George Clooney also. Like, yeah. These are guys that are at the peak of their careers. I think like the year prior, or a couple years prior, somewhere around that time, George Clooney was nominated for Academy Award for like Michael Clayton. Oh yeah. So, you know, at the top of their game, um, and they're just playing these wacky zany guys. I mean, George Clooney has worked with the Coen Brothers before sure. previously, but a couple of times actually. Oh, brother, we're out, right and then um, Intolerable Cruelty. And so he, he has that element to him a little bit more than Brad Pitt did. But um, it's just from, from top to bottom, John Malkovich is in it. Um, yeah. Francis McDormand is the main character of it. Even J.K. Simmons is really great in oh, it. Yeah. Tilda Swinton is, is her typical amazing self. She's <laughs> less com- comedic in it. But yeah. just, I mean, choosing a Coen Brothers scene is kind of like cheating. cheating. But... For my money, the dramedy element, putting some serious stakes in your film, and and then also making them kind of feel hilarious and, and comical, nobody really does it to the level that the Coen brothers do. Even in a movie like True Grit or like yeah. A Serious Man, there's yeah. still elements that are really comical. And for me, they do that best in Burn After Reading. And this hmm. is my premiere scene there's also the one in where jk simmons tries to wrap up the entire film and that's just great at the end of the movie uh where he's just like well we don't really have anything do we okay well what did you learn from this just don't do it (laughs) yeah i I like when when we were preparing for this chris you said uh using violence it kind of turning violence on its head to to make it to escalate like a comedic experience and I never even thought about that yeah. Um, but yeah it, this this scene sums it up and I think we I, I don't know if you're able to find it but I think we can throw, we've got it in the show notes yeah we'll have it in the show notes because um, it's just and it's it's it, a it's one of the most notable scenes from that or the in the dildo chair 
Yeah, it's a very notable scene from Burn After Reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah, it, it's it's shocking and uh, hilarious at the same time. Uh, because of that face, I can't get over it, that the face. The face is just so good. <laughs> um, but why don't you take us through your yeah. Coen Brothers thing, since yeah. that's, a, that's a good segue Segway. I feel <laughs> um, calling out the segue is always a good segue yeah so mine probably comes from uh, a little more obvious of a choice uh, when it comes to the Coen Brothers and that's the Big Lebowski shit even when it comes to uh, just comedy mo- like yeah, comedy scenes and movies true. in general um, mine is specifically the uh, the sheriff um, or the police chief scene from uh, Big Lebowski the Malibu police chief where he's at Jackie Treehorn, uh, mm-hmm. the dude's at Jackie Treehorn's party. He gets drugged by Jackie Treehorn and then uh, runs away and is picked up by the police. Um, I, the, just the exchange with the dude coming down <laughs> from the drugs and the, the straight-laced police chief just being like, it, it, this was, I, I forget what time this takes place uh, or, or, you know, when this takes place. It came out in 98, but uh, I think it was, like, the height of... Uh, like, it was, like, the, it, it was set, like, in the 90s. Around the same time, yeah. yeah. Um, but the police chief is just, like, sees right through him and sees that he's this hippie, and he's just, like... <laughs> Doesn't have any time for it. Yeah, Not in yeah. Malibu. <laughs> yeah. Not in Malibu. So, uh, one of my favorite scenes... Or, what scenes? One of my favorite parts of that scene is uh, he gets his wallet, and he's, like, looking for ID, and the only thing that he can find... Um, is his uh, value club card <laughs> with his name on it. He was like, is this your only form of ID? And then the other thing that he has, the only other thing that he has in his wallet is the etching from the scene previous when, oh, he thinks, yeah, yeah. when Jackie Treehorn's on the phone and he's like writing something down so he thinks, and then he ri- it's on this like notepad so he rips, Jackie Treehorn rips it off and leaves and so the dude goes over and like tries to make an etching of it, and it's just this dude with a giant penis, <laughs> just a little like stick so, figure yeah. guy or whatever. It's so like confusing. It comes out of nowhere, but that's the only other thing that he has in his wallet. Uh, and then the famous line, um, "Mr. Treehorn treats objects like women, man." Uh, it's just so the, that whole, and it's only like it's maybe a minute, minute and a half yeah. scene. It's, but it short. is one of it's always one that I like look forward to when I'm watching that movie it's, mm-hmm. it's very good just the because everybody in that movie is absurd yeah. everybody in that movie is, is weird yeah. and the Malibu I mean the Malibu police chief is a little bit like too much but he's also the most like kind of normal that like person that <laughs> is in the movie the dude like runs yeah. into everybody else is weird <laughs> and so I think that just the back and forth between them between that those characters those type of characters him out of his element it's just it's so good I think does he throw a mug at him he too? he throws a mug yeah because <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not he's, he, like I said he's coming off of this uh, coming out of this drug stupor and so he's not answering the questions and so the the police chief hurls a mug at him and just shatters across his head <laughs> and then throws him on the ground and, and again it's that violence sort of yeah, it's Combros. Yeah, in any other setting, that would be kind of upsetting, Shocking, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this, it's just like, oh yeah, he's kicking the dude. On the ground. <laughs> it's fine. He's, the dude by that time has already been beat up a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. shouting at him to stay out of Malibu. I, I love that. That's why that's one of my one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite comedy movies. Yeah, I I will say that movie is high up there in comedy films because. It is so quotable, yeah. and it also it also very well or very successfully pulls off another thing from from comedies that I think when done well works really well, and that is the recurring gag. Yeah, and for me in the Big Lebowski, it's it's always the the rug, yeah. um, the rug really ties the room together, yeah. <laughs> and just everything that that he goes through with that rug. Um, which is such a minor thing, <laughs> but it becomes like a really the only thing that he cares about right. in the whole movie, and he just wants that rug. The, the, <laughs> the, the entire adventure is because somebody peed on his rug. And yeah, he's trying to get compensation for it. Uh, and he was it's just a rug. Yeah, he was fine with it at first until his buddies whipped him up into a frenzy, and and <laughs> it's the, just a song. They also have the uh, "You're Out of Your Element," Donnie. Donnie, yeah, yeah, and then when Donnie dies. Like that was going to be the other scene. That was yeah. going to be the other scene that I wanted when they go to spread Don's oh, ashes. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and it just, 
<laughs> they have him in a Folgers can because they don't want to pay for a, a ceremonial uh, urn. Yeah. And he goes to like dust his ashes, and it just goes all over the dude <laughs> <laughs> without even realizing. And just it. It hits the wind immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> goes right back. Oh, um, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is. Uh, Lebowski Fest. I mean, that's how big this movie is. Yeah. There's a festival every yeah. year held around it, and it looks like it's coming up soon here. Where uh, is it? It's in Los Angeles. Yeah, it has to be. It. Yeah, I uh, guess so. May 25th and 26th. So get your tickets now, or maybe you can just show up. I don't know. Anything. I, don't know. I feel like you should be able to just <laughs> yeah, show up. Just be yeah. able to like, hey, I'm here. Mosey, yeah. yeah, I'm here for the thing. Yeah, yeah. for the thing. <laughs> but yeah, that was my. Uh, I think well, oh, you're the out. only one that has another film left too. So why don't you take oh, us out with? Yeah, I'll dive right into it. talking a little about uh, the next flick. The next flick. Uh, mine goes back to Superbad, uh, which is probably the funniest movie that I've ever seen. 2007 Superbad, uh, directed by Greg Matola. Hold on. You did you say the funniest movie you've ever seen, mm-hmm. or the funniest movie you've ever seen in 2007? Funniest movie I've ever seen. Okay. No, because There Will Be Blood came out in 2007 as well, and that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. 2007 uh, is known as your comedy. Yeah. But, uh, no Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um, Although there is some legitimately funny things in No Country. Another Coen Brothers violence thing. Yeah. Like, they just do it so well. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but mine is specifically from Superbad, is specifically the uh, Dick Drawings explanation scene. Um, so it's Seth, played by Jonah Hill, and Evan, played by Michael Sarah, the two uh, main characters. They're sitting at lunch, and um, Seth is trying to explain why he hates Becca, which is uh, Evan's crush. Becca, played by Martha McIsaac. Uh, he's trying to explain why, and it... Does that sound familiar? No. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I've never seen her in anything else. Either. Isn't Emma Stone in the... Sorry. Yeah, yeah she is. is, is yeah, sorry. different. She's, uh, yeah, she's uh, Seth's... Sorry. Crush. But anyway, so uh, they're at lunch. They're talking about... Uh, because the during the whole movie up to that point, Seth is uh, just ragging on Becca. He hates her, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Evan just is really enamored by her. And he's finally up to his, up to his gills. And he's just upset and wants an explanation as to why... So Seth proceeds to tell, it's like this two-minute scene, uh, proceeds to tell why. And it goes all the way back to grade school uh, when they were both kids and grew up together. And for some reason, uh, Seth has this, when he was a kid, had this uh, this penchant for drawing dicks. And just the most random, like there's a Tiananmen Square dick mm-hmm. uh, with the tanks and everything. Um, and he just has this penchant for drawing them. And so he has this... Uh, um, lunchbox full of them. Anyway, so Becca finds it and tells the teacher and it just launches into this whole thing where a priest gets involved. But what I really like about this scene is that we kind of go through, it's this real lighthearted uh, various like scenes of, of drawings of, of dicks and stuff. And then um, <laughs> why am I saying dicks too much? <laughs> no, it's just that phrasing of that was strange. It's lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What well, is it? It's set to like music. No, I know, and, yeah. Um, but what I really like about the scene is that there's a call back to it at the end during the credits you mm-hmm. kind of forget about it after that scene uh, as shocking as something like that is for a little kid um, there's a call back to it at the during the credits where we go through even more dick drawings and just like uh, some of the most obscure like there's one where a gorilla is like peeling a banana but it's mm-hmm. a dick instead <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, it's just so funny to me. <laughs> it is. I I do love that movie a lot. That's not my favorite scene from it, but it is good. Scene. Mm. I I don't. I remember very little about that movie. That's a very. That's another very quotable movie. It's yeah. the one that I. I remember McLovin. McLovin is in it. Yeah, that's but all I you know, there's a ton of quotes. There's there's for. Quotes is a big thing from comedy. Movies. Like what? You gotta have Which them. one? Like so the one that I use the most. You still, still use I still it? use it whenever I have the opportunity. Is if somebody says that like something's like they're gonna do something really difficult or something like that, I will say or that they can do something difficult, and I want to dispute they're, it. They're like bra- bragging, kind of. Yeah, or like and you yeah, cut I could them down like, a little bit. I could like fix that computer for you. And yeah. Then, 
Yeah, like I could do brain surgery. I could do brain surgery. <laughs> then I would say you don't have the tech, you don't have the steady. Hand, oh wait, no, you don't have the. Oh, I messed it <laughs> up. I, think I, do. I have it right. Yeah. You don't have the you don't have the steady hands of the technology to pull off a procedure like that. <laughs> yeah, because because Seth Judah uh, Jonah Hill says I'm gonna if you don't go back in there I'm gonna cut off your face I'm gonna take your face I'm gonna put it on my face I'm gonna go in there and buy the beer yeah. and McLevin says you don't have the steady hands of the technology to pull off a procedure like that it's so good that's yeah. pretty good and then right after it he says talking about a woman with large breasts. He says, I gotta go get a glimpse of those warlocks. And and just the way he says things when he when early on in the movie when Jonah Hill goes and bothers um, Michael Sarah's character on the soccer field mm-hmm. in the middle of soccer practice and Dave Franco is in it. And young Dave, Fran- oh, Dave, young oh Dave Franco and uh, How old was he? How young he was in 2007. <laughs> so and Michael Sayers character comes out and he's just in the middle of the field talking to Jonah Hill and the ball like rolls up to Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill just like kicks it or whatever and the kid says you know when are you gonna like grow up or something and Jonah Hill says remember that time you peed your pants and then Dave Franco is just that was like fourth grade people don't forget as he runs away as people don't forget <laughs> so there's always like that movie is just highly highly quotable mm. it doesn't have for me it doesn't have the same like cinematography elements the, the direction that it's we not have a Judd Apatow thing is it? it's, uh, it's under his production company okay. yeah uh, but it's written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg mm. um it doesn't have the same elements of it, but I do love that movie too. That's that's one of the ridiculous comedies that's always still never really like. It's always been good to mm. me. Mm. Uh, th- that was uh, going back to your question, Amos B. That was his third. He was in an episode of Seventh Heaven. He was in a short called Frat Brothers, and then he was in Superbad. Dave Franco. Was, how old was he? Uh, that was two thousand seven, and he is. He was born in eighty five, so. Oh, he's older than I thought he was. He's older than all of us. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's just better looking than all. <laughs> old, old, old man Franco. Yeah. Old man old Franco. Man. Old man. Um, but yeah, just love that scene, and I, I specifically chose that to uh, because of just the level of of comedy to it and the creativity, but also the callback at the end of, with the credits. I uh, just love that because you forgot you've forgotten all about it at that point. And yeah, it's like. Credits. It's that recurring. It's it, it takes the recurring gag element that we were talking yeah. about, and then also puts some like, and because it is dicks, it makes it shocking. And so, yeah. it is both like it's kind of like the violence shocking yeah. element of Burn After Reading, and the recurring gags of like Big Lebowski all rolled into one yeah. thing, and they're just pictures of dicks. And <laughs> it's solid. Good pick. I haven't. I, I wanna. <laughs> I want to watch Super Bad again. <laughs> right on. That's good. Good job, Nate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good job uh, to all three of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that does it for yeah. our main discussion. I think so. Right? Yeah, serious, it does. Baby. Um, we would love to uh, know your picks for good comedy, bad comedy, any comedy that you think is of note. Um, you can email it to us, writerdieblog at gmail.com. Uh, you can... Hit us up on the social medias. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't think people quite understand how cool it is that we're on Alexa now. Oh, right. That's uh, true. Any Alexa-supported device, just say... Every time you say that, you're triggering people's things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any Alexa-supported device. Uh, I'll, I'll run through them. Alexa, Echo, Amazon, Computer. Dot. Dot. Oh, I don't, that's not... Well, maybe that's one. Yeah, the Alexa dot. No, it's, those are all like the trigger words. Oh, 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 oh sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going through all of the like models of the. the wait, you can just say desktop and it'll open it up. No computer. Oh, why? Well, if you like for Star Trek, like uh, well, yeah, that. But also, like I used to, like we would just have conversations where we would accidentally like say Alexa, and then it would like, whoop, and we're like, okay, so I got sick of that, so I changed it to computer, and then it, it's a whole thing. <laughs> we'll say that after the show. But uh, all of your Alexa supported devices, just say, Alexa, ask any pod to play the Ride or Die podcast. Boom. Yeah, that's Bam. Cool. 
That's dope. You'll have us in your in your house. Fascinating modern adults. world that we live in. Yes, it is. Look at we finished this episode kind of early. You guys are welcome. <laughs> well, remember, you gotta give us like a four minute grace period when you <laughs> forgot. To... That's a good point. Plus, some of us came in. If you could just show. actually, if we could just sort of remain uh, quiet th- for okay, three and a half minutes. We're contractually obligated. I was going to do that hour. thing I did at the end of the <laughs> other episode where I just stopped the stopwatch but didn't stop the... Yeah, and we're like, well, yeah. <laughs> we started <laughs> talking smack on the users and stuff. Alright, you guys have a good day. You know, have a good night's sleep, get some good rest. I hope that everybody has a good day at work or whatever they're doing. and Maybe a good weekend. Yeah. Whatever obligation you have. <laughs> maybe. Right. Maybe a good weekend. All right, I love you. Bye.